Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Okay, what do you say on a Wednesday? Wednesday, May 24. Hello, hello, hello. And great to see you. The Bill Press Show. Here we are in Washington, D.C., but uh, actually, that's where we start out. We end up alongside of you, with you, wherever you are in this great land of ours. Great to see you today. Uh, And we bring you the news of the day uh, from uh, here in Washington, D.C., around the country and around the globe uh, all of it coming to you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, Washington D.C., just down the street from the United States Capitol building, where um, the members of Congress yesterday, both Republicans and Democrats, stunned to get the president's new budget, uh, which uh, does Uh, breaks every campaign promise that Donald Trump ever made, and we'll get into the budget just a little bit later. And on the international front, Donald Trump, uh, on the third stop of his uh, first foreign trip, uh, meeting at the Vatican with Pope Francis, such a contrast between those two personalities. Yes, one, the champion of the poor, the other, the champion of the wealthiest, the billionaires and uh, the hedge fund managers. Um, the, the, and of course, Donald Trump meeting with the man who said, those who build barriers, those who specialize in building walls are not really Christian. And Donald Trump bragging at one time that he got a bigger crowd in Philadelphia than the Pope got when he got to Philadelphia. So we'll have time a little bit later to get in the program to get into the president's budget and to get into the president's visit with uh, Pope Francis. But we start off today with a very uh, special guest. We're very honored to welcome to our studio a good congressman from uh, Texas' 9th Congressional District, Congressman Al Green. Hello, Congressman. Good morning. It's an honor to be with you. Thank you. Uh, no, honored to have you here. Good to see you. Thank you. Uh, early, Thank you. early on a, on a Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know the Congress hasn't started sessions yet, but... So. Well, you're getting me off to a good start. Uh, well, thank you, yeah. And you're joined today, Congressman, by a good friend and supporter uh, who's been on a program before. John Boniface is the president 
and co-founder of Free Speech for People. There's something we can all get behind. Hello, Thank John. You, Bill. Hi, good to see you again. All right, nice to see nice you. Nice to see you. So, Congressman, you've been stirring it up here a little bit. You uh, made some big news last week with your speech on the floor of the House. Uh, the first congressman and still the only member of Congress to use the I word and suggest that President Trump has already um, committed enough sins that he ought to be considered for impeachment. Isn't it too early to get to go there? Well, first, allow me to uh, again thank you for the opportunity to take a message to the masses. And it's especially uh, important that uh, we have this opportunity because we're talking about obstruction of justice. There is a collusion allegation. And the collusion allegation may take a lot longer to develop. Uh, Many people think of conspiracy when they hear the word collusion. Mm -hmm. And they assume that there will be a meeting of persons who will have malice aforethought. And as a result of the meeting, there will be some scheme concocted, uh, which is really not the case. But the point is, it's going to take longer to develop the collusion. Uh, The obstruction of justice is something that has already occurred. And because it has already occurred, it's not too early to talk about it. Uh, When the law has been breached by the chief executive officer of the most powerful country in the world, it cannot go unnoticed. The president breached the law. He obstructed justice when he decided to fire the chief investigation officer, the officer that was investigating him, Mr. Comey. And he decided to do so and told us why, because of the investigation. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that there are many people who would like to have that on a recording. If if that recording could have been found, and, and if you heard him say it on the recording, it would seem that it would have more credibility in the minds of some. Right. There are many who don't want to believe that the president confessed on national TV when he talked to Mr. Holt. That is exactly what he did. And then when he went on to tweet what is tantamount to an intimidation, intimidating statement, uh, I think that those things combined would become the uh, the genesis, if you will, for the obstruction of justice. And, of course, he did um, Well, Mr. Comey told us, that the president called, uh, asked him in the Oval Office to drop the investigation. Yes. Uh, and then we also have learned subsequent and following your speech on the floor uh, that the president also called the director of national intelligence, Dan Coats, uh, and called the um, the, the head of uh, NSA, right, um, yes. Mr. Kelly, Admiral Kelly, and asked them to come out publicly and say there was no collusion. Yes. So you might say there were three attempts, really, to Well, there were multiple justice. attempts, but when we get into those, um, those bits of, uh, I'm going to call them evidence, But when we get into that aspect of it, it's probably a better way of putting it. Those are things that you do need to investigate and you do need to Mm -hmm. to uh, confirm. Uh, But the president's own words are what I've dealt with. Uh, These are things that are beyond reproach. There is no debating that the president said these things. We still have to wait for Mr. Comey. Uh, We have to get the testimony from the others. Uh, But uh, the president has, uh, in his own words, made it possible for him to have impeachment 
charges brought against him. And, of course, we have to make it known uh, continuously, repeatedly, um, to the point that it becomes uh, superfluous. We have to make it known that impeachment doesn't mean the president is uh, removed from office. He's not deposed. Uh, He Mm -hmm. will be exposed in the Senate and then he's deposed after a trial in the Senate. Right. We do remember that President Bill Clinton was impeached in the House but remained president and finished his term. Exactly. Right. And uh, Andrew Johnson as well. So it's, uh, we've had two presidents actually impeached. We had another to resign prior to being impeached. The important thing to remember about all of these things is that when the president uh, commits an impeachable offense, uh, the House is the jurisdiction. That's the place where it takes place. There are many people who seem to think, and I hear many talking about this, uh, they seem to think that we have to, we can indict the president and we'll try him in some court of law. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. The president's not going to be indicted by the special counsel. Uh, he's not going to bring indictment charges and then take him before some competent court of jurisdiction. And as a result, the president will then go to trial. No. The, if, the, if there are charges, they will be brought in the House, and the president will then uh, have to answer those charges in the Senate. Now, um, Congressman, you have with you John Boniface from uh, a, a Free Speech for People. And, John, you've been our guest before. Yes. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners and a lot of our viewers are wondering what the two of you guys are doing here together. <laughs> because it, when you've come in before... We have talked about an extremely important issue, which is all the money, special interest money in politics and how we get it out of politics. Yes. So so answer the question, what is the connection between free speech for people and Congressman Al Green's yes. mission well, here? Yes, I'm honored to be on with Congressman Green and you, Bill, and thank you for having me. We're, we're here today mm-hmm. because we launched with Roots Action on Inauguration Day, ImpeachDonaldTrumpNow.org, a campaign calling for an impeachment investigation in light of the president's refusal to divest fully from his business interests and as a result was on a collision course the day he took the oath of office with the two anti-corruption clauses of the Constitution. We have since expanded the grounds for our call for an impeachment investigation in light of the obstruction of justice that Congressman Green has so eloquently just discussed. And we now have over 1.1% million people all across the country signed up in support of this campaign at impeachdonaldtrumpnow.org. It is only going to grow over time. Nine communities around the country, including the L.A. City Council, have passed resolutions calling on Congress to take this action. And and I want to be clear. Congressman Green is an American hero. He, He is standing up for our Constitution and our democracy at this critical moment in our history. We are facing a constitutional crisis The president is openly defying the rule of law, openly engaged in impeding a criminal investigation that may incriminate himself and his associates, and we must hold him accountable via the impeachment process, and that's what Congressman Green is doing so eloquently. Are we in a constitutional crisis? Do you agree, Congressman? Well, um, I've not used that language. But it, I've had, I've, others have. And uh, I others have, heard, and yes. I just yeah, I just no. heard it, and I've heard it many times. And I'll tell you why I've stayed away from it because when you are asked to define it, uh, the definition can be uh, nebulous at best. And so I've just stayed away from it. But I do not oppose uh, persons who say it and oppose hearing it said. Uh, I think that 
It just depends on how you define constitutional crisis. And I do uh, admire greatly what uh, my friend is doing. Um, he and, uh, and his cohorts uh, have given the American people a means by which they can participate in this process. It is a participatory democracy. Mm -hmm. And I encourage people to go online and to make your voices heard. Uh, this is a way for you to participate. Sign the petition. Uh, it will be the will of the American people that will drive the will of Congress. If the American people will speak up and stand up and have impeachment town hall meetings. You don't have to wait on a congressperson to have an impeachment town hall meeting. You can call one yourself <laughs> right. and talk about this process. You can bring in constituent yeah, town constituents. Hall, exactly. And and you can have a lawyer to come in and talk about it or other persons. But this is where people can do what was believed to be the essence of democracy and that is engage, be there. Make it government of the people, by the people, for the people, by being a part of the process. And that website, again, is impeachdonaldtrumpnow.org? Yes. Correct? Yes. Right. Now, so the, 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 you, you raise the issue of the conflicts, yes. the business conflicts, and they've, we've just seen them multiply, haven't we, Congressman yes. and, and John? I mean, in terms of it's not just Donald Trump, it's Ivanka Trump and her line of right. polling. It's Jared Kushner and his continued real yeah. estate deals where they cite the White House, and it's almost like if you invest in this real estate project, you're going to have access to the White House. you got the Trump Hotel here in Washington, D.C. It's, well, it's multiple. probably the most stark example was with the EB-5 yes. EB yes. visa process. That's probably the most stark example. Uh, because the EB-5 allows a person to expend 500000 or a million dollars, depending on how you approach the process, and it will put you on a pathway to citizenship. Um, the process, EB-5s have some value because they bring jobs. There is no question that there is some value, but you should not be able to market this as a means by which you can become a citizen and then give the ostensible uh, appearance, if you will, that your 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 uh, chief executive officer of the country somehow will find some pleasure and some favor with this if it happens. I think that there, there are little subtle things that are done. It's almost like buying citizenship, isn't it, or, well, or, or auctioning off citizenship. The, the, way, the way it was being done there at yes, that time yes. was, uh, I, I don't want to condemn all people who have engaged mm -hmm. in the EB-5 process, but the way that was done was onerous um, and uh, could create an additional uh, opportunity for uh, the president to have to face uh, charges. What are you asking people to do? Uh, well, we're asking we're asking free people speech to, for people. We're asking people to join this campaign at impeachdonaldtrumpnow.org to sign up if they haven't to ask their friends and their neighbors and, and people all around the country they know to join us. Congressman Green is right. This is going to happen because people around the country demand it to happen, but we're also asking people to organize locally in their communities to hold those impeachment town halls to get their local governments to pass these resolutions calling for this and, of course, to call their members of Congress to stand with Congressman Green at this moment in history. Congressman, you um, have received, I'm sure, a lot of support with, from John's organization uh, and others, but not all, of, not all of the reaction to your speech on the floor was positive. 
Tell uh, us about some of the uh, reaction you got uh, uh, there. Uh, you know, particularly from some of those. They may yes. or may not be your constituents, but some of those pretty ugly. Exceedingly ugly, and um, they hearken back to a time in this country when persons of African ancestry could be intimidated with the recipe of the lynching tree, uh, a time when uh, black men would have to step off the sidewalk when approached by a person of another hue, a time when we had to drink from colored water fountains, when we had to go to the back of the bus, and when we were locked up in the bottom of the jail. Uh, if we went to a movie, we had to sit in the balcony only. Uh, there are still people in this country who believe that we can be intimidated with the threat of lynching. Um, and it doesn't matter, by the way, what your station is life in life is if you're an African-American. Um, you can be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, or you can be one of 435 members of Congress. And the, the mentality still exists as it relates to you. One of the reasons that we expose this is because we wanted to let people know that this mentality is still there. Um, there are a good many people who have not um, heard it and don't understand that African Americans live with this on a daily basis. Not, not just that, but other aspects of that mentality. We live with it on a daily basis. One can only imagine how the persons who made these horrible comments treat African Americans mm. that are in their environment. I don't know, the person could work at a restaurant. Uh, can you imagine what he might do to the food that he serves an African American? Um, he could easily be uh, a person associated with a constabulary in some way. And one can only imagine how he would treat an African American that he perceives to be uh, breaching the peace. Uh, so I, I'm pleased that we were able to do it, but I'm saddened that it happened. But when you heard that lynching comment on at least one of those calls, what was your reaction? Well, my initial thought was that a person was uh, threatening to murder me. Yeah. Uh, that's what lynching is. He was threatening to murder me. And my thought was that uh, uh, this was going to uh, have to be exposed uh, and that I was going to have to protect my staff. I have very young people. I'm 69, so they're very young to me. Uh, <laughs> I have some uh, who are in high school, one person in high school. And uh, they they get these horrible calls. Uh, these were recorded. They didn't get them by voice mm. and talk to them. But these are young people who don't sign up for this kind of invidious uh, hatred. Yeah. Yeah. They don't sign up for this. And because they don't, we have to make sure that we do all that we can to protect them. We'll accept all of the the comments about our heritage and people do that and talk about our mothers and fathers, but uh, they really don't sign up for intimidation and threats of death. So we've had to make some changes and we'll make more changes to protect our office. But I do want to say this, if I may, Mr. Press, the people who have called and who have stood with us far outnumber oh, yeah. those who have given us hate speech. They far outnumber them. And I think that it's it's a positive thing to to talk about the people who have said we support what you're doing or we we don't support what you're doing, but we do support your doing things to protect yourself or we want you to be safe 
we don't support what those guys are doing who say that they want to lynch you. Uh, we don't support the, uh, the impeachment of the president, but we think that lynching and threats of lynching are abhorrent, and we won't support that. I'm glad to hear that you've heard from the vast majority of what, the people, voices that reflect, I believe, the vast majority of Americans yes, sir. in terms yes, of sir. Yes, respecting sir. our right to disagree, even on a topic as sensitive uh, as that. We heard extraordinary testimony yesterday, Congressman and, and John Boniface, from the former director of the CIA, John Brennan, who, who said that he saw, that he, he said, first of all, that there was no doubt, no doubt, that Russia brazenly interfered in this election and that he was very concerned to discover uh, multiple contacts between members of the Trump campaign and um, Russian officials. Now, he didn't say that that proved collusion, but he did say that that means that this Russian investigation is wholly merited and extremely important. Uh, John, is this a, a a new plank in your well? It's not. It's, it's not yet a new plank because, as Congressman Green has said, there there's an investigation ongoing on the underlying question of collusion, and until that's demonstrated, we're, we're not yet expanding the grounds for calling for impeachment on that. I, I do think those investigations need to move forward, uh, and the truth needs to come out. Uh, but the overarching point here is that the president cannot engage in obstruction of justice and block those investigation, block the criminal investigation. That's what he tried to do by right. firing yeah. the FBI uh, director. So it's a quite serious matter, as is his refusal to divest fully from his business interests. I, I just want to add, though, on the point about the outrageous and racist calls and, and death threats that the congressman's received. It's just something that uh, has no place in our society. Uh, and this kind of vitriol uh, is something that we all need to stand up against. And, and, and I think Congressman's actually absolutely right that the majority of people uh, who are calling his office and who stand uh, with him do not, uh, do not condone this in any way. It's an outrage. Uh, and, uh, and amen to that. Yeah, you know, Congressman, the president just considers this whole Russian thing. He says this calls it a witch hunt, right? Just mm -hmm. wants it to, to go away. But when when you you see here's the former director of the CIA who says that Russia brazenly interfered and that all Americans, Republicans and Democrats, should be concerned about that. And then you look turn around and here's President Trump welcoming to the Oval Office the Russian ambassador and the Russian foreign minister, mm -hmm. and he never says beans mm -hmm. about it. What does that tell you? Well, um, two points. The first is that the president uh, in the Oval Office hobnobbing with these folk uh, is an insult. Uh, it's an insult when the allegation is there that one of the persons at least may have been a part of the actual yeah. um, uh, collusion, if you will. Right. Uh, if not a part of the collusion, an effort to influence the election in some way. And I think that's an insult. Uh, but the thing that gives us the best indication of what the per president's thoughts are when he is in his quiet moments and he's, he's uh, thinking to himself are his overt manifestations and his oral representations. Uh, his oral representation that he fired Comey because of the investigation 
that says that he thinks that it's pretty serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you don't fire a person mm-hmm. who's investigating you just because. Uh, and then when you make the specious allegation that it's because of Hillary Clinton, um, we all know that that is uh, a sophisticated sophistry at best and probably unsophisticated sophistry. Uh, and then the final act is his um, uh, actual firing of Comey. Um, that that was a pretty serious thing. So you, when you look at his, his manifestations, the overt manifestations and oral representations, you, you can get the, the true sense of where his head is and what he's thinking. Uh, he's concerned, and he's done many things to demonstrate that he wants this investigation to end immediately, if not sooner. What is your level of confidence that we will get to the bottom of this, that the American people will learn the truth, either from Robert Mueller's investigation or the House investigation, unlikely, or the Senate investigation. Will we know the truth? Let me say this to the American people who are listening now. If you want to know the truth, there will have to be impeachment, in my opinion. If you want to know the truth, because the Senate and a trial of the president has awesome subpoena power. Mm -hmm. Everyone who has fingerprints on this may be subject to subpoena. And the Senate can then find out what happened from the actual people who are said to have said things. Uh, The Senate will find out. That's really important. And so if you want to see this occur, you have to support the impeachment uh, based upon the obstruction. And the obstruction exists we but only have to believe our lying eyes. If we'll just trust our eyes, trust our ears, trust our common sense, we can see it. Um, the president fired the person investigating him and said he did it on national TV. I think it was at prime time. Yes. Uh, well, the NBC s- News said with he did it. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, said he did it because of the investigation. So I do have hope, but I also temper that with knowing the American people have to weigh in. Now, about 48% of the American people have said that the president should be impeached. So you're close to a majority. I saw one poll that said, depending on how you ask a question, you're at 50% Mm. of the American people. So when the American people continue to weigh in, and as that number goes up, the will of Congress will be directly proportional to the will of the American people. So this is a chance for participatory democracy to take its place and uh, for us to do that which we know to be right. And the way to weigh in, of course, is through the... ImpeachDonaldTrumpNow.org. And for those who say uh, it's too soon, I just want to reiterate what Congressman Green said on your show uh, last week. You know, the people say we need to get the facts out. As they're saying it, they really want to get other facts out. We already have the facts out about obstruction of justice. We already have the facts out about his violations of the anti-corruption provisions. And those facts call for an impeachment investigation right now. ImpeachDonaldTrumpNow.org. And, of course, call your member of Congress and say get on board with Congressman Al Green and and get these impeachment hearings started. It's got to start in the House. And may I add this? Please. Uh, This is exceedingly important. Um, Each member of the House of Representatives can file a resolution with articles of impeachment. 435 people have this privilege. I reserve the right to do so. And I am confident 
that um, articles of impeachment will come before the House. I'm confident because if nobody else does it, Mm -hmm. I will. Uh, I believe strongly in what we are doing. And I have not decided when. There is no asset test for it. I would like to see what the American people are going to do. I'd like to see what other members of the House will do. But in the final analysis, if no one else will, I will. And it will have to be brought before the House. There will There's a requirement of two legislative days before the House will have to take it up. The House must. It is not a question of may. It is not a question of whether the politics exists such that it can be brought to the floor of the House. It must be brought before the House within two, uh, within two legislative days. Now, what does that mean? It does mean this, that there can be a motion to table. And if there's right. a motion to table, it will have to be voted on. Um, there can be a motion to send it to the Committee of Jurisdiction, the Judiciary mm-hmm. Committee. Uh, if there is such a motion made, uh, it can pass possibly and go to that committee. But uh, the important point is that there will be a record of the fact that the president obstructed justice and that it was filed in the House. I cannot tell you what Democrats would do. I cannot tell you what Republicans would do. But I can tell you that there will be at least one vote in support of that resolution. So you're telling us today that your um, efforts do not end with a speech on the floor of the Congress that you will, if no one else does, and others may, but you will definitely file articles of impeachment in the House of Representatives against President Donald Trump. I say it without hesitation, reservation, equivocation, or consternation. It will happen one way or another. And this is not a means of trying to encourage others to do it. It is just a means of saying, look, uh, it's so obvious that the president has obstructed justice. And I've heard many people make the case for it. And then when they're asked, Mm -hmm. well, does this merit impeachment? They'll say it obstructed justice. But, well, we're not quite there yet. Uh, Well, I'm there. And I I don't in any way uh, begrudge people who are not. I'm not lobbying anybody else. Um, I'm I'm simply saying that what is obvious is something that ought to be called to the attention of Congress. You may not be lobbying. You're showing a lot of courage, an American patriot, Congressman. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for coming in today. And John Bonhoeffs, thank you for uh, leading the charge as early as last November. Uh, And remember again, it is impeachdonaldtrumpnow.org. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for Thank stopping you. by. Thank Come you. by any time, Congressman. Thank you. Thank Two you. weeks in a row. You're on a roll. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well it's not a roll that I, I want to be on. But we'll I be here. We'll be uh, take a quick break. We'll be right back here. This is about my position. This is about what I believe. And this is where I stand. I will not be moved. The president must be impeached. Download our podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Okay, here we go. Wednesday, May 24, uh, The Bill Press Show rolling on. After a uh, pretty uh, 
newsworthy visit from uh, Congressman Al Green, who said for the very first time that you heard it here first on the Bill Press Show, uh, that he is not uh, going to stop at just making a speech on the floor of the House where he said that uh, there should be impeachment hearings against uh, President Donald Trump for obstruction of justice. But he told us and you for the very first time that he will at some point introduce articles of impeachment against the president, which will require, must, must within 48 hours, uh, require a vote by the House to take some action. They could table it, they could send it to the Judiciary Committee, or they could just vote on it right then and there. All 435 members of the House have that privilege. Uh, he said he will definitely exercise that privilege, take advantage of that opportunity uh, at some point. And you heard it here first on uh, the Bill Press show. Um, <clears throat> hard act to follow, but uh, yeah, let's hmm. let's try. Uh, there is uh, there is uh, some other news out there. Uh, yes, indeed, the uh, uh, a f- a bespoke president of the United States out there uh, on the latest stop in his uh, whirlwind foreign tour, first foreign tour, uh, going to the Vatican today to meet with Pope Francis. What a contrast, by the way, between these two individuals, just seeing them side by side. uh, You have in Pope Francis, the champion of the poor uh, in Donald Trump, the champion of the privileged and the elite and the wealthy and the hedge fund managers and all of his buddies at Mar-a-Lago, uh, the man who um, oozes opulence uh, for, alongside of the man who really does just look at him, and he's the guy who hangs out and is known for hanging out and championing the causes of the poor. And you also have the man, of course, who wants to build the wall, keeping people out, uh, standing alongside of uh, Pope Francis, who said at one time that those who um, talk about building barriers, those who talk about building walls, are not really, are not Christian, not Christians. Uh, And the day before the election, Pope Francis actually said, don't be fooled, all walls fall, all of them. So don't count on the wall to do the job because no wall really, really lasts. Uh, and, Donald, and again, after that comment, Donald Trump called the Pope a pawn of the Mexican government. Uh, he made fun of the fact that there's a wall around the Vatican. And at one time, he also bragged uh, about the fact that he, Donald Trump, got a bigger crowd in Philadelphia uh, than the Pope did when he went there, which is just absolutely blatantly phony, false, fake news. It's just like he bragged that he got a bigger crowd yeah. at the inauguration uh, than Barack Obama did. Uh, wow, yeah. Donald Trump told another lie? I'm no. shocked. Uh, the fun- shocked. The funniest that I saw yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> is back in 2013, uh, Donald Trump actually tweeted out when, when uh, uh, Francis was elected Pope. Uh, Donald Trump actually tweeted out. There's a Donald tweet for everything. Of course. For every occasion. Uh, in 2013, he tweeted out, quote, The Pope is a humble man, very much like me. <laughs> oh, my That's God. That's true. 
my God. Oh, so th- where, are they, where they were. Now, I don't want to get catty here, but I do have to. Yeah, you do. Yes, I do. No, but I do have to point out. So I admired the fact that Melania showed up in Saudi Arabia, the first lady, maybe I should call her, and did not wear a veil, did not wear a hijab, did not feel that she had to subject herself to the second-class citizenry that Saudi Arabia requires of all women. Neither did Ivanka Trump. And I thought, bravo, neither did Michelle Obama. American women should go over there and be who they are. All right? But when she went to the Vatican, she wore a headscarf. And so did Ivanka. Yeah. Come on. This is a Catholic church. It's not as bad as Saudi Arabia. There may be a tradition, but what they gonna what's the Pope gonna do? Throw her out? I hated to see that. I thought that was really going too far. I mean, um just just wanna say They're just weird. It's weird. They're just weird people. Yeah. I'm sorry. Everybody tried to make Barack Obama out to be a weirdo, <laughs> right? Because he was a different kind of person. Donald Trump and Melania Trump are weird people. Sorry. (laughs) You know? You know, whoever made that decision, I'm sure they told her, you got to wear, yeah, you can't go in the Vatican without having your head covered. Well, you know, I can remember the day when you were not allowed, women were not allowed in Catholic Church without their hair covered. That goes back to St. Paul, you know, but American women threw that away a long time ago. And we don't have to go back there. And uh, and I'm, again, I'm sure Pope Francis didn't give a damn. He could care less. Yeah, I don't think. I think he's pretty relaxed on this whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, bad decision on the part of somebody. Somebody at the White. Not blaming her. Somebody at the White House. Meanwhile, back here at home, Donald Trump can't escape. Cannot escape uh, the Russian connection. Uh, the investigation to the Russian connection. It keeps going on and on and on. Uh, and yesterday, there was another great big shoe drop with uh, John Brennan, a testimony on the Hill. John Brennan, first of all, saying, former director of the CIA, saw him many times in the Obama White House in, in the briefing room. He would come in, and I was always impressed with him. He really knows his stuff. And he told the Senate Intelligence Committee yesterday, no doubt, no, no doubt at all that Russia tried to influence the outcome of the 2016 presidential election. It should be clear to everyone that Russia brazenly interfered in our 2016 presidential election process and that they undertook these activities despite our strong protests and explicit warning that they not do so. And he warned the Russians, this is not, we, we don't, uh, cannot tolerate what you're doing and you better knock it off. I warned Mr. Bortnikov that if Russia pursued this course, it would destroy any near-term prospect for improvement in relations between Washington and Moscow and would undermine constructive engagement, even on matters of mutual interest. Yeah, you would think that message would still continue to Russia. You cannot get away with this. This is not something we will accept or tolerate. We don't care who, Republicans or Democrats. And yet, as we just uh, discussed with Congressman Al Green, uh, instead, Donald Trump, invites Ambassador Kislyak, Foreign Minister Lavrov, into the Oval Office and just yucks it up with them and doesn't do a damn thing about it. We haven't done anything, anything to Russia or toward Russia at all about the fact that they interfered in this election. And there's no doubt that they did. Again, it wasn't just John Brennan. Earlier, last November, 
17 intelligence agencies, U.S. intelligence agencies, issued their unanimous report about Russian interference in the election. Um, And not only that, yesterday, John Brennan said he was aware of and very concerned by uh, evidence that he saw of contacts between Russian officials and people close to Donald Trump. I encountered and am aware of information and intelligence that um, revealed contacts and interactions between Russian officials and U.S. persons involved in the uh, Trump campaign. And, he says, I was concerned because of known Russian efforts to suborn such individuals. It raised questions in my mind about whether Russia was able to gain the cooperation of those individuals. That is the most explicit statement that we've heard so far from anybody in the intelligence community about the extent of contacts between Trumpers and Russian officials and the danger of those contacts and the potential collusion. It is short of saying he saw evidence of collusion admittedly but it is it nails down the fact that there were contacts and it was of concern and John Brennan saying yesterday that the uh, FBI investigation now the Robert Mueller investigation is well founded um very very important uh and must continue uh because there is sufficient um evidence of the possibility of collusion that we've got to get to the bottom of it. That that, that statement by uh, by John Brennan should make Donald Trump <clears throat> very nervous. You know, you're right. There's there isn't a smoking gun yet. Right. But what's interesting to me is how effectively this case is being made, you know. You got to remember we are barely into the Donald Trump presidency. Yeah, barely. Right. So we're, I mean, the heat is already this turned up and you could sort of see walls closing around Trump and whether or not it comes back to Trump explicitly. I don't know. I don't know if I buy that, but everybody else around him seems to have had their hands in the Russia pot, you know? Well, this thing is moving uh, to your point very, very fast. I mean, oh, yeah. it, first of all, it is so deja vu of Watergate. We make that point almost every day. Um, but Watergate took years yeah. to develop. People don't think about it. There that. were just two yeah. reporters working on it, right? <laughs> right? Bob Woodward and Carl Burnt. This this has metastasized as an issue uh, and as a problem for Donald Trump in just weeks, a couple of weeks, not a couple of weeks, but in, let's say, three or four months. And it is moving fa- very fast every day. So you've got this John Brennan thing is the latest. And the evidence of the fact that the White House now realizes, big story on CNN this morning, the White House now realizes um, this is, this is they're not going to be able to wish this thing away. They've been calling it a witch hunt. They want to dismiss it. They want to say there's nothing to it. John Brennan destroyed that, destroyed that argument yesterday by pointing out the multiple, multiple contacts and how concerned he was. So there's definitely something there. It is not going to go away. The White House knows that now. They are girding down for a long, long siege that this thing they realize now 
could go on for months, if not years, particularly now that we have a, like Watergate again, now you have a special prosecutor. You have a special counsel. One other analogy to, to Watergate, uh, Donald Trump, we mentioned this briefly yesterday, but now it looks like he's made a decision. Donald Trump is lawyering up. Bill Clinton, Richard Nixon, both. When they got in trouble and they were hearing the impeachment drums, first thing it did was hire an outside lawyer to defend them, to protect them. It sounds like Donald Trump has uh, focused, decided on a guy. I don't really know, um, but he's got a good reputation in the law. He's represented Donald Trump for the last. He's He has uh, pulled Donald Trump out of the fire several times in the last 15 years. Yeah. His name is Mark Kasowitz. Mark Kasowitz. That's, again, another analogy to uh, Watergate. And the next one is that it looks like the White House is going to bring in a special communications czar just to deal with the Russian issue. Beautiful. Now, this is what Beautiful. the Clinton White House did when the Mar- Mark, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Mike McCurry, as press secretary, said, I don't want to have to answer questions about Monica. I'm not going to defend that. So they brought in Lanny Davis. Oh, my God. Uh, right? Better and call all, Saul. And all, <laughs> all the Monica questions went to Lanny. Yeah. Not to Mike. If anything came up at the briefing, I could say, that, that, that's, I'm, that's not my territory. Uh, that's Lanny Davis. Um, Nick, I mean, look, if you're Nick's, looking for a strategy to dodge, that's oh, yeah. not a bad one. No, it's not a bad one. So, uh, and I forget, Nixon did too, but I forget who he brought in. But uh, history books will show that. But at any rate, uh, they're thinking uh, with the Trump White House of bringing back Corey Lewandowski. Uh, fired as campaign manager because he and Jared Kushner got in a big fight. But the th- then he went off to CNN, by the way. Uh, now they're bringing him ba- thinking of bringing him back. He has been seen around the White House. Uh, he is, uh, White House acknowledges he's been meeting with Donald Trump about maybe coming back. And he would be the Russia communications czar for the White House. So um, <clears throat> this is not going to go away. No. Uh, this is getting more and more serious. Uh, Donald Trump's got to be concerned about it. He is concerned about it. The White House is concerned about it. And they are um, getting ready to buckle down for the long haul. And we uh, will they'll continue to, uh, to see the truth uh, to, to, until we get to the truth. And the first person, of course, under under uh, observation, if you will, is or under investigation is Michael Flynn. Uh, as we mentioned yesterday, he has refused to uh, comply with a subpoena from the Senate Intelligence Committee or the House Intelligence Committee to turn over all the documents of his own contacts with Russia, which leads to the question of what will the Senate Intelligence Committee or the House do Will they hold him in contempt of Congress? Uh, Senator Richard Burr, chair of the House uh, Senate Intelligence Committee yesterday, said, well, we might have to go there. We do, but we do want to hear from him. That's not our preference today. We would like to hear from General Flynn. We'd like to see his documents. We'd like him to tell his story because he publicly said, I've got a story to tell. Um, we're, We're allowing him that opportunity to do it. Right. And... Uh, Congressman Adam Schiff from California, the uh, ranking Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, basically reflecting the same thing. Well, we'd like to do it the nice way, but 
you know, if we have to hold them in contempt, we will. It was our preference initially to get these documents and testimony voluntarily. Uh, it's now going to be necessary to subpoena it. And uh, if the general refuses and does so without a good legal basis, uh, then I think we do have to explore uh, the use of contempt. So, Man. Michael Flynn, it ain't over yet, Michael Flynn. Again, uh, one more little plank in, in, building, in building this case. Uh, and we do know, in addition, that we've been told a person who is in the Trump White House is also a person of interest in this investigation. That's not Michael Flynn, because he's not in the White House. So there are at least those two that are under serious consideration. And meanwhile, the other big uh, show here in town yesterday, the other big issue, was the president's budget. Arriving on Capitol Hill, met with, gro- met with outrage by Democrats and groans by Republicans, who are um, who now face the uh, challenge of either defending this budget or running away from it? They called it, "quote." I, I love these titles they put on these documents. A new foundation for American greatness. <laughs> yeah, what they should have called it is a trail of broken campaign promises. I mean, it is a disaster uh, of a budget. It uh, four point two trillion dollars, but. Every promise that Donald Trump made during the campaign, he breaks uh, in this budget. Remember, he promised he would never cut Social Security, Medicare, or Medicaid. Uh, This budget actually cuts Medicaid by $1.5 trillion, a 47% cut. Uh, Candidate Trump promised he'd help students and make higher education more affordable. Actually, in his budget, Donald Trump cuts $9.2 billion from education funding, which is a 13.5% cut. Uh, He promised he would lower the cost of uh, prescription drugs. There is not one sentence in this budget dealing with the problem of cost of uh, prescription drugs. Not at all. Another promise broken. And, of course, overall... He said he was going to be the president and he was going to fight for the middle class, fight for working class Americans, fight for the poor uh, and defend them. And actually, uh, he cuts disability payments by $72 billion. He cuts retirement benefits for federal employees by working class Americans by $63 billion. He slices $192 billion from food stamps, nutrition assistance, and he cuts all other programs helping the poor by $272 billion. Meanwhile, giving a tax cut to the very wealthiest of Americans, uh, eliminating all the taxes that, uh, uh, special taxes, for example, for paying for Obamacare, uh, that only Americans who make over $200,000 would have to pay. So his tax cuts benefit the very top, probably very top 1% or maybe even less than 1%, but they're the ones that get all the benefits. So uh, it, it, it is a budget directed to help the big corporations and the wealthy people and to screw the middle class. Again, exactly what exa- opposite of what Donald Trump said he was going to do. And the people he's hurting, for the most part, are the people that voted for him. There you go. That's the real sad truth about all of this. Yeah. I mean... He rose to the presidency by telling people a bunch of lies he couldn't deliver on. And that could very well be the thing that takes him down. Yeah. And 
He, <laughs> there's also a lot of phony math in it, or fuzzy math, as George math. would say, right? Yeah, uh, when it comes to the, uh, with the tax cuts. We'll talk more about the budget through the uh, next couple of days as well. Uh, when we come back, we want to get into the issue of crime and punishment in black America. With this Foreman is Jr. the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Donald Trump meets with Pope Francis. Yes, the champion of the poor actually meets with the champion of the wealthy, uh, the champion of the hedge fund managers. What a contrast there at the Vatican today. Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. And thank you for joining us. It is the Bill Press Show. We are reaching out to you and joining you coast to coast live on YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Uh, live on Free Speech TV, out on WCPT in Chicago. And don't forget, join us on our great news uh, service, patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, where um, you can see the special interview we did yesterday with the Reverend Barry Lynn of Americans United for Separation of Church and State. We're going to put that up a little bit later. You can, We did a live stream <laughs> uh, yesterday, so our sorry. live stream subscribers watched it yesterday. It. We're going to put the rest of the whole video up for everybody else uh, a little bit later on this week. Patreon.com slash BP Show. We uh, are lots to talk about today, lots of news, and we uh, start this half hour by welcoming to the program uh, James Foreman, Jr., who's author of a very important new book called Locking Up Our Own Crime and Punishment in Black America. Hey, James. Nice to see you. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. We want to find out about uh, about this problem, how serious it is, and what's being done about it and how it got started. There we a copy of the book. Here we go. Uh, and we'll get into that and other issues. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, we go back to California. Big Sur, my goodness, a huge landslide has buried a stretch of Highway 1, the iconic coastal highway there in Big Sur. Under 40 feet of rock and dirt, they're saying an unusually rainy winter for California has uh, damaged much of the highway just a giant, giant landslide there. One million tons of rock and dirt tumbled down the slope, which still remains unstable, and about one quarter of a mile on Highway 1 is completely buried. That is terrifying. You know, I know that area very, I'm very sure well. I'm sure you do. And um, one of my very best friends is former Congressman Sam Farr, yeah. uh, who represented that area. I'm in the middle of typing an oh. email to Sam because... He is a beautiful, beautiful property in Big Sur. And the problem is not just that Sam can't get to his property, but all those businesses there, 
all that tourist, sure. all those restaurants, all those inns are out of business. Oh, man. And they have been for a couple of months because – so this occurred at the southern end of Big Sur on Highway 1. The northern end, a bridge went out. Oh, my God. So you can't get there from the north. That bridge is out. So the people who live there and the business there are all stranded. And you can't now you can't get there from the south. It's going to be months and months before Highway 1 is That's reopened. a nightmare. Oh, no. It is it's an economic disaster for that region. We should maybe take a look at the infrastructure in this country. See <laughs> what we can do about it. Do <laughs> you think? Just saying. Yeah. Hey, how about this? Democrats finally got a big win. Last night, Democrat Christine Pellegrino defeated conservative Tom Gargiulio in Tuesday on, on, uh, in the 9th Assembly District special election. This is a... What state? This is New York. New York. This is New York. So okay. this, is, this is a place that Donald Trump won. Bigly, fifty-one to forty-four is where he won in this uh, precinct. But Christine Pellegrino ran as a very strong progressive. She said last night, "This is a thunderbolt of resistance." So this is also a big union uh, fight. They backed uh, the unions backed Christine Pellegrino in a big, big way, and she won, which is a huge upset. So uh, congratulations. Well, two, two good things about that for me is number one, she won. Yep, a progressive won, a Democrat won, but also. That we are focusing on assembly seats, yes. legislative seats, because they are so important. You can't just talk about U.S. Senator, President. We've got to get into the state houses, uh, right? And remember, Rob Quist in Montana tomorrow. Tomorrow's a big day. to win another big one. And John Ossoff is up seven points in the latest poll in Georgia. That would be a huge victory. On your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, on a Wednesday, May 24. Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. Thank you again for joining us on the Bill Press Show, coming to you live coast to coast with all the news of the day, starting out at our studio right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., but joining you uh, everywhere in this great land of ours on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. On Free Speech TV, good to see you on Free Speech. You're looking good today. And on the great WCPT out in Chicago, um, Patreon.com is where you get, uh, in addition to all the great stuff and all the great guests you see during the program, uh, some very special exclusive content on Patreon.com slash BP Show, including posting later today uh, our conversation with those of you who have already signed up on Patreon could live stream yesterday our conversation with the Reverend Barry Lynn, who's the head of Americans United for Church and State, with some very interesting things to say about Donald Trump and the evangelicals. There, man, can't still can't figure that one out. On a different issue, one that we talked a little bit about yesterday, actually, is um, the issue of uh, criminal justice reform Whatever happened to it? It was a big priority in the last administration. A lot of support from both sides of the aisle. Uh, but Donald Trump seems to want to take it in the exact opposite direction. Man has uh, just published a great book on this issue, very important, called Locking Up Our Own, Crime and Punishment in Black America. James Foreman Jr. in studio with us. James, good to see you. Good to be here. What? Uh, there was a serious effort, wasn't there, for toward criminal justice reform. 
in the la- over the last what couple of years? It looked like that this was the one issue where people were going to get together. Well, and I think that there still is. I mean, you had just mentioned uh, about the state race in New York. Mm-hmm. So on Capitol Hill, criminal justice reform is pretty much stymied. Or Jeff Sessions has been a disaster on that question. But 88% of prisoners in this country are state, local, and county prisoners, not federal. Whoa. Right. 88%. Wow. 85% of law enforcement in this country is state, local, and county law enforcement, not federal. So one of the things I think progressives have to be really clear on is that this battle to reduce the size of our prison system and to make our prisons more humane, this is a state and local battle. So if you care about this issue, yeah, we should be disturbed by Sessions and we should be resisting the backward direction he wants to take the federal government. But our work is state, local, and county work. Mm -hmm. If you care about the school-to-prison pipeline, right, where kids are getting arrested in school and then pushed out of school and locked up into juvenile systems, that's mostly decisions that are made at the school board level. So if you care about that issue and you're a progressive, run for school board Mm. and change the policies there. Mm -hmm. Get rid of zero tolerance. If you care about the war on drugs, that's a state issue. Most prisoners that are serving time on drug charges are there because of decisions made by the state legislature. So that assemblywoman who just won in New York, she will have the ability to have more of an impact on that issue than anybody in Congress. That is stunning. It really is. I mean, and so important for people to understand, right? Because, okay, so whatever Jeff's, what you're saying is whatever Jeff Sessions wants to do in terms of federal prosecutors getting the maximum sentences, and the uh, max, maximum charging the maximum offenses and getting the maximum sentences would still only affect 12% of the prison population. That's right. I mean, I was just meeting with a group of prosecutors in King County in uh, in Washington State, in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And they were very clear. One of them said, you know, we just had read this session's memo. And, you know, we know that it doesn't apply to us. Right. Because Sessions only controls the federal prosecutors, not county prosecutors, not city prosecutors, who are the vast majority of prosecutors in this country. And so, for example, to give you one thing that they're doing out in Seattle that's really progressive is, you know, historically, the problem is we have folks strung out. Right. People are addicted to drugs. They're occupying public space. That was a big issue in D.C. in the 80s and 90s, especially citizens write to their county, their city council person and say, you got to do something. we got addicts, you know, blocking my building. What they're doing in Seattle is they've authorized police officers to have the discretion to directly make referrals to drug treatment programs. So Hmm. now the officer on the street who responds, who encounters this addict on the corner, they have a tool in their toolkit other than arrest. They can, and it's not give them a piece of paper with a phone number. It's walk them over and they enter the program right on that day. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. Is anybody else doing that? It's, well, it started in Seattle. It's, it's called LEAD, Law, Enf- Law Enforcement Assisted Diversion. And it's spreading nationally. There's a woman named Lisa Dugard who's heading it. Um, and it's, take, it's been taken up in a number of cities. Uh, I don't know exactly which ones, but oh, you know, over a dozen. So let, let, let's go back to the, to the big picture here, which is uh, what your book is all about. I mean, the combination of steps that were taken, a lot of them back in the 90s, and a lot of them with Democratic support 
like Bill Clinton, toward maximum minimum sentences or uh, three strikes you're out or whatever, uh, has a particularly negative impact on African Americans. Correct. I mean, it's almost a racist, as racist almost as segregation. The whole, the whole fall of wax. That's exactly right. But the, and the key point of my book is the way all of us in this country helped to build this system. So you talked about Democrats, Republicans, and that's true. Um, but it's also true that the African American community, in some important ways, participated, and that's and supported those. So some, yeah, yeah, leading African American politicians at the time supported this legislation. Yeah. So I, you know, I opened the book with a story. I'm in Superior Court in Washington D.C. representing a young man by the name of Brandon, and I had come to take this job because I viewed it as the civil rights issue of my generation. You know, even in the 1990s, you're, when you're a public defender. I was a public defender. My parents were in the civil rights movement. They met in SNCC, the Student Nonviolent mm-hmm. Coordinating Committee. My dad was the executive secretary. And they passed along to me this idea that you've, we've got to fight for the African-American community. And so I took the job as a public defender to do that. I'm trying to get Brandon, who's pled guilty to possession of a gun and possession of marijuana, and I'm trying to get him probation. Brandon's African-American, as are most of my clients. The prosecutor in the case, also African-American, is asking for him to be locked up and to go to a juvenile facility. And the judge who has to make the decision is also African-American. So here he is looking at he's got two black lawyers arguing different sides of the case. and He's got a young black man on trial. And he leans back and he looks forward and looks into Brandon and he says, son, Mr. Foreman, your public defender has been telling me that you've had a tough life. Well, let me tell you about tough. Let me tell you about Jim Crow and segregation. See, the judge had grown up in that time. Wow. And he remembered mm. it. And he starts to lecture Brandon about what it was like. And then he wraps up and he says, so here's the thing. People marched and fought and died for your freedom. Dr. King died for your freedom. And he didn't die for you to be running and gunning and thugging and carrying on. And embarrassing your family and embarrassing your community. So I hope you turn your life around. I hope Mr. Foreman is right. But right now, actions have consequences. And your consequence is O'Kill. And he locked him up. Jeez. Mm. And wow. God, what so, a chilling story. And so Whoa. I wanted, and there was, and you know, the city council that passed the laws that Brandon was sentenced under here in D.C., majority African-American city council passed the gun laws and the drug laws. The police force in the city is majority African-American. And so it seemed to me that there was a, somebody needed to write the story of the last 40 or 50 years through the lens of black elected officials, black prosecutors, black police chiefs, black probation and parole officers, and try to tell the story of how it was that in this pressure cooker environment with crime rising, limited options, the federal government not supporting investment in inner city communities, right? So these, these local politicians that I'm writing about are under incredible pressure. But how it was that in the end of the day, they ended up in many cases supporting with good intentions, I think, in many cases, but supporting some of the same policies that the nation pursued. Is it because they think that locking them up works? I mean, they can't believe that anymore, do they? Well, so there's there's the there's the historical part, and there's the you said anymore. So there's right there's a part about yeah. changing attitudes more recently. So, yeah. like, let's pull them, let's separate them. In the okay. '70s and '80s and '90s, I do think there was a sense that this would work, or if it wouldn't work, it was the best option that we had. Mm-hmm. So, so many of the people that I write about, people like Eric Holder. People like Marion Barry, 
people on the D.C. City Council and they said people like Maxine Waters. So many people said we want tougher laws, but it isn't the only thing that we want. Right. We want more police and more prosecutions, but we also want more jobs, better education, a Marshall Plan for urban America. Right. Following John Conyers. So they had this strategy of give us all of the above. But the problem is black elected officials didn't control Congress. Right. They can. So they couldn't get national gun control. They couldn't get the Marshall Plan for urban America. What they could could get was the tough on crime. Right. And so they had this all of the above strategy. They end up getting one of the above, which is law enforcement. Um, So I think it's a complicated mix, right? Some people, and then there's, of course, some people that are just really hard and tough. There were those people as well who just thought, well, you know, in any community, you're going to have those really hard-nosed types. So you put all that together, the people that want the Marshall Plan and don't get it, the people that like the judge who feel like they don't have any other options, the people that are really, really just tough and bought into this idea that locking them up will work, You put all that together and you start to stitch together a majority for some of these policies like mandatory minimums and stop and frisk. Well, but what about the fact that they must have known that the percentage wise, the number of young black men going to prison was so far surpassed young white guys. Right. For the same offenses. That's true. But it's also so Eric Holder said this in the 90s. He said when he he launched this program for uh, called ceasefire where D.C. police were going to pull over cars on any pretext. Right. Driving too fast, driving too slow, stopping too long at the stop sign. No, they did that all over the country. Right. Right. But he said, I know that it's young black men that are going to be disproportionately arrested in this. But it's also young black men that are committing a disproportionate number of the crimes. And so it's true that there was always this concern. Everybody that I have write about is aware of some of the racial disparities, but they're also aware of the racial disparities in victimization, right? There's this myth that's been perpetuated by the right. I quote Rudy Giuliani on it, but lots of people have said it, that say black people only care about crime when it's police violence. How come you don't ever mm. care about crime in the black community? Well, this book is like a 240-page rebuttal to that lie because what was motivating everybody, what motivated that judge? He didn't want to lock up. He didn't enjoy locking up Brandon, but he felt this intense desire to protect innocent black victims, people that lived in that neighborhood mm. who were going to be harmed if Brandon kept running around with a gun. Right. So that was the dilemma that he faced. So these officials that I'm writing about, they, they want to protect black people from harm and they didn't have enough options, enough ways to respond. So they end up relying on law enforcement. But I'm getting I want to get back to this prison population. Okay. I mean, you're not suggesting that which I've heard some people say and I reject. But I don't, what, what's what are the facts that black people commit more crimes than white people? Per capita. It depends on what kind of crimes we're talking about. For drug crimes, there's that's absolutely not true. So for drug crimes, the evidence is really overwhelming that particularly for drug possession and drug use, that people from rich to poor, black, white, Latino, Asian, everybody uses drugs at kind of roughly the same rates in this country. Mm-hmm. It ends up being about 12 yeah. or 13 percent. Um and so, no, there's there's no disparity there. And but in that category, 
a young black guy is more likely to get a prison term, right? That's for, right. For that same offense. That's right. Right. So the use, the rates of use are the same across the population, but black people are more likely to be arrested. And if they are arrested, are more likely to be convicted. And if they are convicted, mm-hmm. more likely to be incarcerated. Right. That the racial disparities yeah. in the war on drugs are are appalling um, and they exist at every stage of the system. And in part, it's, it starts with the, how we police, right? If you, I mean, I went to Brown and I went to Yale there as a student, and now I teach at Yale as a professor. There are drugs everywhere on these campuses. If you did stop, if you did New York City style stop and frisk mm-hmm. on the Brown campus or the <laughs> Yale campus, then every, you know, a third, I don't know how many, a lot of the kids would end up going to prison. Um, but we don't police wealthier communities, more privileged communities, in the same way. So we get different, we get different results. For other sorts of crimes, there are there are racial disparities in in who commits them, and there's economic disparities in who commits them. So, um, for you know armed robbery, for example, we have pretty good data based on victims reporting the race of the person who has committed the crime, mm-hmm. and it and African Americans are overrepresented in the percentage of the population. Now, there are lots of reasons for that. There's nothing. There's nothing, you know, internally or morally defective about black people. But when you trap people in ghetto communities with no jobs and no options and the schools are terrible and violence is everywhere and drugs and guns are readily available, then you have higher rates of crime. I mean, that that's true. So we need to respond to that. We need to make those communities healthier, make them places where people can thrive so that they don't have such limited life options. Um, but it is true that there are, for certain types of crimes, there are pretty well-documented disparities. They're not, however, that those disparities still aren't as great as the disparities that we see in the prison system. Mm. So there's still, even for those more serious crimes, we still get racial disparities along the way. So somebody who's African-American who's convicted of a violent crime is still more likely to get a longer sentence in the prison system than if that person is white. So the racism doesn't go away. Right. Is the is the Clinton 1994, whatever that legislation was called, was that the kind of the worst example of, of you, you know, one of my my view and one of the arguments in the book is that we can't there's no single moment that we can ever point to, whether mm-hmm. it's Nixon declaring the war on drugs or Reagan doubling down or Clinton. And his, was it Nixon, the war on drugs? I, th- I always thought it was Reagan. I guess. It well, started with Nixon. But yeah, Nixon. And, and then <laughs> it started with Nixon, although although Nixon also on some issues had pretty de- pretty on some even criminal justice issues like he had a his administration had a robust commitment to. Um, methadone uh, treatment for heroin. So they actually had a real treatment orientation for heroin. But he did dec- he did officially declare um, a war on crime and a war on drugs. And then Reagan doubled yeah, down. And yeah. then Clinton decided, you know, this is the only way that I'm going to get elected is if I take this issue away from the right. And so but I don't think to go back to our earlier conversation, we look to the federal government because that's what's easiest to see. But let's not forget that underneath right, this, it. there are all these state actors. and But it was bad, right? The, the particular thing he did in 94 that was so problematic is they gave states um, incentives to build more prisons. 
Uh, and they basically said, you'll get this additional federal funding to do various different things, but only if you make it only if you eliminate parole. Hmm. So they force states or they encourage states through yeah. uh, you know funding incentives. They encourage states to, in essence, lengthen the sentences by taking away parole. Right. So you are challenging in your book, if I read correctly, the black community to recognize its role and to take a lead in turning things around? I guess uh, in part, I would say, yeah, that is one of the things that I'm, that I'm doing. Particularly, again, at the state, local, county, city level. Yeah, I mean, I think we all I'm, – I'm, I am arguing that we all, either through action or complicity – or, you know, allowing it to happen in our names without raising our voices in opposition, that we all have been indifferent to this group of people who is now in our prison system. 2.2 million Americans and 7 million under criminal justice supervision, right? We're 5% of the world's population and have 25% of the world's prisoners. So is there something inherently wrong? You know, about us as a people? I don't think so. Are we particularly vicious? I don't think so. I think we've made choices. <laughs> I think there's something particularly wrong with our system. Exactly. Those are the choices. If you're 5% of the population and 25% of the prisoners, either you have the world's worst people or your system is broken. And I think our system is broken. And so, but I am challenging as a piece of that. I am saying to my, you know, brothers and sisters in the black community that. We have allowed this to happen on our watch, and in some ways and in some instances, under pressure, yes, with limited options, yes, but we have uh, supported this, and we need to acknowledge that, and we need to turn it around. I think that Eric Holder and Barack Obama were starting to do that at mm -hmm. the end of the last administration. They didn't go, weren't going nearly as far as I would have wanted, um, not close to as far as I would have wanted, but they were taking steps. I mean, you write about, you acknowledge this as one of the things, you know, you give President Obama credit for in your book. You say there was a, yep. there was a turn on criminal justice and you've got, we've got to acknowledge that. And, and I think that's right. So I think there's been a shift in the black community in the last 10 or 10 years, really, I would say. Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, has contributed mm -hmm. to this. Brian Stevenson's work, The Death Penalty mm -hmm. Lawyer from Alabama, incredible book, Just Mercy. Ta-Nehisi Coates obviously has become With, a, you know, oh, yeah, a household name in Between yeah. the World and Me. I think that some of these African-American public intellectuals and, and activists have really changed some of the conversation uh, in black America and raised a consciousness so that, I, you know, I don't think we would see again what's hap what happened in the 70s and 80s and 90s. I don't think we'd make those mistakes, same mistakes as a community again. Right. Is there any I'm, – I'm thinking of, um, you know, the, the, on the right, the Koch brothers have this ALEC, right? Yeah. American Legislative Exchange Council. And so like the voting suppression bills in 21 or 25 states or whatever, they were all written by ALEC and they were, they were just sent around and there were Xerox copies introduced in all these different legislatures. Is there any organization, progressive organization, organization on the left on this issue that is um, leading the charge and maybe working with multiple states rather than people in you, you mentioned like Washington State. That's great. Yeah. But, you know, let's get that nationwide. Is there any organization out there leading, get, trying to get multiple states to pass comparable legislation? 
There, there's not one. There's no equivalent to Alec. But there right. are, you know, sort of, for example, like the Open Society Foundations and George Soros has done, is doing this on trying to get progressive prosecutors elected. So I keep coming back to the state and local issue, yeah. right? So yeah, the great, most powerful person in the criminal justice system is the local prosecutor, the county huh. prosecutor. And, yeah. ju- yes. and in the last election in November... Even with the disaster that was Donald Trump, for the first time in my lifetime, we had progressive prosecutors elected in races across the country in Florida, in Texas, in Denver, Colorado, in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, There was a guy in Texas who ran a defense attorney. He had the words not guilty tattooed on his chest. He (laughs) ran for prosecutor and he won just just last week in Philadelphia, in Texas, in Texas. Just last week in Philadelphia. I have to say the phrase progressive prosecutor does sound like an oxymoron. I know, but it, but 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 <laughs> I mean, we but we've got to but we've got to change that. Larry, yeah, you yeah. y'all should do a story. Larry Krasner just won in Philadelphia. The Philadelphia prosecutor is an incredibly powerful. That office sent more people to death row than any office in the history of the state of Pennsylvania. Whoa! He's a civil rights lawyer. He's a very progressive guy, and he's, he looked at the election results last November, and he said, wait a minute. Why doesn't somebody who wants to challenge the harshness of the system run to be the chief prosecutor? And he did it, and he won by a landslide two, two weeks ago. I mean, people wrote him off when he threw his name in. It was like, oh, this, you know, this left-wing nut job is never yeah, going to win. Yeah, right. But – but huh. the but George Soros and uh, supported it, put money behind it, and local a whole grassroots network of progressive local activists um, put hmm. their energy behind it, and he won. He he won. It was a seven person race. He won for the Democratic primary, which is yeah. in essence the general election in the city of Philadelphia, and he won thirty eight percent of the vote. And the next per- person won twenty percent. And they ran against people ran a law and order campaign. Other Democrats said, "Oh, this guy, you know, he's, he's good. Out, he's too huh? far out." Yeah. yeah. Um, but it didn't work. Uh, so I think that there's a real energy that that we have not tapped into because we're focused on Trump and sessions. There's a real energy at the local level and there's a lot there's, there's no one Alec, but there's a bunch of smaller Alecs that are that are pushing this well, issue. Well this is another issue like climate change or like immigration where uh, the you know the the only hope today is right at the local level. State state city county level. Exactly. Right. You know, exactly. Like, so like some of these sanctuary cities are standing up and saying, Hell no, we're not gonna go along with what Jeff Sessions wants. Right? Exactly. And the only difference are. for me so on this, this is another one, level, which I was unaware of, but the idea that you go not just to city council, board of supervisors, school board, but prosecutors, the elections for, to elect progressive prosecutors. I wonder if Bernie Sanders is into that. Yeah, well, uh, Kim Fox in Chicago. I mean, that's a hugely powerful position. And imagine. She, yeah. she, ran, she ran on an agenda of... Is she you know, the prosecutor? she's now the chief prosecutor for the city of Chicago, and she's trying to. So the way you, you know you said, how do we replicate things like the Seattle program? Well, part right. of it is that you get legislators and prosecutors in other communities who want to bring those right, who want to bring that program because it is harder. See, here's the thing: this is the challenge we face as progressives. It's harder to build alternatives to prison than it is to build prisons. I mean, building prisons mm-hmm. is simple. You get a yeah, line right. item in the budget, 
yeah. then you've got your prison. Right. These alternatives, right, they're messy. They require, like, you know, excellent human capital. You have to retrain the police officers. You have to develop an infrastructure of treatment programs. Right. This is this is harder to do. It's the right thing to do. It's the moral thing to do. It's going to produce lasting crime reduction. But it's more than a line item in the budget, and that's why that's why it, it's it's going to take that's why it's going to take more time. Yeah, great. So the book is locking up our own crime and punishment in Black America. You can pick it up, of course. Uh, I just see some good friends of ours, Van Jones and Chris Hayes and others, giving you a Randall Kennedy a nice little blurb on the back. Uh, get it anywhere books are sold and through our website, too, BillPressShow.com, James Foreman, Jr. Uh, you come from great stock, and you're doing great work. Thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate good it. Good to see you. Brown and Yale. All right. How about <laughs> it? <laughs> uh, yes, we'll be, uh, after a quick break, we'll be right back with Aswin, Aswin Subsang from The Daily Beast with uh, all things Trump coming up. Get social with Bill Press. Like us at Facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Here we go now. On a Wednesday, May 24, what do you say? It is the Bill Press Show, and we welcome you wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Give a shout-out to the American Federation of Teachers and the good men and women of our in our classrooms doing the Lord's work every day under President Randy Weingarten, members of the AFT.org is their website. Check it out. Uh, salute them and thank them for their support of the program Lots going on this morning, and um, maybe uh, if you, in case you uh, missed it a little bit earlier in our program, you uh, will probably be hearing about this more during the day. Uh, Congressman Al Green uh, from Texas joining us and uh, telling the world for the first time that he, yep, he gave a speech on the floor, the first member of Congress to give a speech on the floor of the House that uh, and proposed or suggested that the president of the United States uh, has is admittedly he uh, he himself admits it admittedly guilty of obstruction of justice and therefore should be impeached. Uh, Congressman Green telling us this morning for the first time anywhere. Um, yeah, we can uh, listen to that. That he was he is going to go take the next step and file articles of impeachment. So you're telling us today that your um, efforts do not end with a speech on the floor of the Congress, that you will, if no one else does, and others may, but you will definitely file articles of impeachment in the House of Representatives against President Donald Trump. I say it without hesitation, reservation, equivocation, or consternation. It will happen. Uh, I think that means he's going to do it. Sounds like it. Sounds like it. Yep. He said he, he it wasn't announcing a date uh, it would, this week, next week, whatever, but that he will definitely do it. And he said others may. He's not um, lobbying others to do so. Uh, if they do, they do. If they don't, they don't. But he definitely will. And what I didn't realize, and maybe you don't realize, is that, first of all, any member of Congress 
has the right by just by do by their office to do so. They don't have to be chair of a certain committee. They don't have to be a speaker. They don't have to be the Democratic leader. Just if they are a member of Congress, they have that right. Uh, goes along with the territory. Number one. Number two. In response to any filing of articles of impeachment by any member of Congress, the entire House must act, must take uh, some, do something about it within 48 hours. Uh, the options, there are several options. They could table it, um, and they'd have to, but they'd have to take a vote. They could send it to the appropriate committee, but they would have to take a vote. The congressman uh, explains all, explained all of this to us. Or they could um, vote right away. One way or the other, and there may be other options, there will be a record of the House of Representatives voting on a call to impeach President Donald J. Trump. It is going to happen. It will happen this year. Uh, and at least one member of Congress, our guest this morning, Congressman Al Green from Texas, uh, is going to file those articles of impeachment. You know, it's it's going to be really that interesting to see huge. who will put their name on this now. Because last time uh, the congressman was here, I made the comparison to Barbara Lee in that in the days after 9-11, when the Patriot Act was going around, there was one person, one person who voted against it. Mm-hmm. One person, and that was Barbara Lee. And I think now we're at a point where we're going. And, and, and by the way, we look back at that and say, why the hell? Would- One senator, too, Russ Feingold. Yeah, and, there, and we look back and we go, why weren't more people there? And I think a lot of people go, we should have been there. They were way ahead of their time. And No doubt. Barbara, Barbara Lee. We, gonna- th- we thought so at the time, but now a lot more people agree yeah, with us. Absolutely. A hero. And we're going to look back at Al Green and say, you know what? This guy should have been impeached. He's given us reasons to impeach him now. And I know people want to wait and let an investigation go forward and see what happens, but he has already admitted to obstruction of justice. That's, I mean, it's out there. He admitted to it when he he fired James Comey and said he fired him because uh, of that Russian thing. He fired him because of that investigation. Uh, He fired him after trying to get Comey to shut down uh, the uh, investigation and Comey refused. The wor- um, there was more evidence yesterday. Yesterday, we know one of the reasons Donald Trump went abroad is he was hoping he could uh, change the subject, and when he comes back, everybody will have forgotten about the Russian investigation. <laughs> uh, that ain't going to happen. No, if he thought that, he is really, really mistaken. Um, we, uh, as, and as evidence of that yesterday, the Senate Intelligence Committee, which is continuing its investigation, even though there is now a special prosecutor, Robert Mueller, but the Senate Intelligence Committee yesterday heard from former CIA director, uh, John Brennan, uh, John Brennan, very powerful testimony and certainly gave evidence that this Russian investigation is real. It is merited. It is well-founded. It is important and that it's not going to go away. Uh, John Brennan saying, first of all, let's start with the premise. No doubt, no, no doubt at all, Russia trying to uh, dictate, determine, 
the outcome of the 2016 election. It should be clear to everyone that Russia brazenly interfered in our 2016 presidential election process and that they undertook these activities despite our strong protests and explicit warning that they not do so. And here's what's stunning about that still, is that for Donald Trump, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. I mean, Eric Swalwell, the, uh, this bright young congressman from, uh, from California, yesterday said, I mean, what's the deal? Russia, a foreign adversary, pokes his nose into really brazenly interfering, as John Brennan says, in our election, and nothing happens. Something that was so uh, chilling to hear was that he had given a warning uh, to Russia to stop uh, its meddling, otherwise they would suffer consequences, he said. And then to look uh, just back uh, about a week and a half ago on May 10th, when Donald Trump had in the Oval Office Russia's foreign minister and its ambassador to the United States. That certainly did not look like any consequences were suffered. No, there it is. Donald Trump yucking it up. Look at the photographs. Thanks to the Russian photographer who was allowed in with no American journalists allowed in. We've seen the photos of Donald Trump just yucking it up with Ambassador Kislyak, uh, the, the guy who got Michael Flynn fired. Uh, uh, yucking up with Kislyak and with the uh, foreign foreign minister, uh, Sergei Lavrov, uh, as if they had done nothing at all uh, in our election. But the the, the takeaway from yesterday's hearing with John Brennan is that this Russian investigation and the, uh, by the Senate committee, the House committee, and by special prosecutor now, uh, Robert Mueller, this issue is not going to go away, no matter how the Trump, how badly the Trump White House wants it to, and a, a sign of that they of that they realize now that they're not going to be able to dis- dismiss it easily. We learned that the Trump White House is considering Donald Trump very close to a, a hiring an outside counsel, Mark Kaslowitz, to represent him. Uh, so not depending on the White House official White House counsel anymore, outside lawyers, just like Nixon did, just like Bill Clinton did. And they're thinking of bringing in a communications czar to handle all inquiries on Russia, just like under Bill Clinton. Mike McCurry, the press secretary, uh, refused to handle questions about Monica Lewinsky, so they hired Lanny Davis to come in, and all inquiries about that issue were sent to Larry Davis, Lanny Davis. And as reported, by the Daily Beast and Aswin Subsang, the Trump White House is considering hiring none other than the guy who was fired once as her campaign manager, uh, Corey Lewandowski. Well, speaking of Aswin Subsang, look who walked into our studio. Here he is. How's it going? Uh, nice to see you. Thank, Thank you, you for having me as Congratulations. always. Congratulations. Another breaking news story by the <laughs> Daily Beast. Thanks, to So, uh, have feelings smoothed over with Lewandowski and the people around Donald Trump that got him fired in the first place? Well, isn't this kind of strange? I mean, uh, I mean that's a complicated uh, situation because uh, much of the reason he was ousted from uh, the 2016 presidential campaign was because of his power struggle with Paul Manafort, who, like Lewandowski, is not in Trump's White House, but still <laughs> was keeps, also fired too. Yes, right? he was also fired. <laughs> Um, and then Steve Bannon, of course, took over, and he's currently in the White House as the last yeah. man of those three standing. But the funny thing about people like Manafort and Lewandowski is that they have stayed with, if not within Trump's immediate political and West Wing inner circle, 
have stayed within Trump's political orbit. Uh, mm. They are in the category of people of what you could informally call outside advisors, such as uh, Citizens United President David Bossie, who used to be Trump's deputy campaign manager um, after Steve Bannon and Kellyanne Conway were uh, promoted and uh, hired. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, people like Bossie. Paul Ruddy, too, I guess. Huh? Is, is Chris Ruddy? Chris Ruddy, sorry. Right, yeah, at, right, at right. Uh, Newsmax. Right. So these are the people who make up the core, or part of the core at least, of Donald Trump's outside the White House advisor circle. He'll communicate with them. He'll talk with them uh, for advice, counsel, and sometimes comfort. And what Politico uh, reported, uh, I think an hour before we popped our uh, Lewandowski story that you referred to at thedailybeast.com, is that Lewandowski and David Bossie have been in direct conversation with President Trump to come in as crisis managers, um, at least in part with regards to the whole uh, Mm -hmm. Trump-Russia affair. And it is not clear if an official offer will be extended in the coming weeks. Uh, Right now they're just talking, but President Trump has been directly asking them, so that means something at least. And it is not clear if this job will be um, working directly within the West Wing. Perhaps they'll be working but in something looking more according, like Trump. According to your story, Lewandowski has said, yeah, I'm coming in. Yes, but but the point of our story is that he has been going around telling basically anybody who can listen that he is uh, virtually – he's basically <laughs> imminently uh, going to reenter t- Donald Trump's immediate orbit and therefore within the White House. Having said that, Lewandowski says a lot of things. Uh-huh. So yeah. – uh, <laughs> Right. OK. But uh, the thrust of the story is that he at least is going around telling uh, a lot of Republican operatives um, in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere that, yeah, Donald Trump, I'm coming in. He wants me in there. Just you wait. So what was – what's interesting to me is, is um, getting the priorities straight, I guess. Last week, we all were led to believe – uh, that Donald Trump was personally now interviewing the final finalist for FBI director, and everybody expected that to drop before he left for for uh, uh, Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen because then we find out that he put that aside, and he's hiring candidates to be his outside counsel, uh, several of them, he's... including Ted Olson, and he apparently has settled on this Mark Kazowitz, uh, reportedly. And then at the same time, he's also thinking about who he's going to bring in as has his uh, crisis communications guy on uh, on the Russian investigation and other things, David Bossie and Corey Lewandowski being seemingly the top two candidates. So he, he's, a, he's, he's kind of looking for surrounding himself with, I don't know, new people to defend him. Huh? President Donald J. Trump is a magnificently prolific and busy president in his uh, first 120 120- Five, Whatever six, seven, however many yeah. days it is. It's just that it's not necessarily the kind of busy that the Republican Party and Republican Party <laughs> establishment especially would like their Republican yeah, president to, to be. be doing. He has been incredibly busy, as has his senior staff and communication staff, in managing crises that are entirely of their own making and specifically Donald J. Trump's making. Yeah. Um, can you answer the – this is not the most important question of the day, but it's one that mm-hmm. – I think if anybody I know might have an answer to. Can you explain why Melania won't hold Donald's hand? (laughs) There is this ongoing meme uh, on the Internet, and actually it's broken through. I saw this morning to cable news and CNN that there have been two uh, video clips. Yeah. uh, 
at least two from uh, this big foreign trip, uh, trip the Trumps and uh, and Trump senior staff have been on, where Melania is swatting away President it, Trump's it, hand. It looks like, or it looks a lot. He, you know, he's always like reaching back, and she goes, right or fixes her hair. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I have no idea what's going on there. Maybe it, I don't know. Maybe. I'll be generous about it. Uh, Donald Trump is famously a germaphobe and loathes shaking hands. So maybe she, as a loving wife, is reminding him of his pet germaphobe. I don't know. I don't know. I really have no idea what's I mean, going on there. there I mean, been, it, you know you don't believe that. There have been two instances in two days that are suspicious. They look suspiciously like she is avoiding holding his hand. But what I think is interesting is the, the second clip that, that we saw yesterday where – they're walking down the stairs of Air Force yeah, One, yeah. and he looks terrified. I mean, we, there's a oh. rumor that he's, he doesn't like oh, no, stairs. No, 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 that's known. He <laughs> yeah. is a, has a stair phobia. Yeah, he looks terrified. Yeah, like, like he gets he's grabbing dizzy. onto the yeah. one the yeah. railing yes, for dear yeah. life, and he reaches for her hand, and she just pulls away and does her hair. It's... She says you're on your own, dude. Yeah. Yeah. You, the man, optics man up optimal for the Trump administration, but yeah. uh, but uh, this That's is right. but as you point out uh, a couple of minutes earlier, this is very very low on their priorities list of problems. I know, but you know, you, you know what the funny. thing is. It's the thing funny. to me, and, though, it, and it, it, it is it, funny. It, it just keeps getting. Every time it happens, right, then there's another little bit of video that's out Well, there. It's, it's also like and, – and we can't do this all the time or else we'll go crazy to, to do the comparison of like, well, if this was Obama, this would have happened. But, you know, Michelle Obama took a trip with her kids and people go, oh, there's trouble in the Obama administration. What's going on there? It's, it's totally normal, right, that, that that would happen. She would go somewhere with her mother and her children while Barack Obama was you know, right. running the country. And that was enough for people to pick it up and run with this whole thing that – that there's trouble in their relationship. But, like, she has swatted his hand away twice, and heaven forbid we mention it. Plus, she doesn't live in Washington. Plus, she doesn't even live with him. <laughs> uh, on a more serious note, mm-hmm. uh, Fox News yesterday announced the great fanfare. They are going to no longer talk about uh, the murder of Seth Rich as a conspiracy to to, to, to on the part of the Clinton campaign to get him out of the way because he was releasing emails to uh, WikiLeaks. Um, how did this thing get started in the first place? Is it finally gone, and will Sean Hannity abide by the network's decision? Well, uh, Fox News uh, said they were retracting their foxnews.com story. Uh, the problem is someone like Sean Hannity, who is known within uh, the Fox News apparatus as basically an island unto himself. If he wants to go on air and keep talking about it, he can. I mean, he's gotten away with uh, just as bad, if not uh, arguably worse, but let's just say for the sake of argument, just as bad. Yeah, and, and, or and, around the vicinity of same yeah. bad. Let me back yeah. up a little bit and not presume – that all of our listeners or viewers know even who Seth Rich is. So who is he and what is the conspiracy theory? He was a Democratic National <laughs> Committee staffer. Um, young guy. Young, young 27, guy. 27, I think. Yeah. yeah. Who was um, shot to death, uh, murdered in his uh, Washington, D.C. neighborhood. Walking home. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it was late at night or early mm-hmm. in the morning. Yeah. And um, it was... Um, in I believe it was in the summer of last year, summer yes. 2016, mm. and 
uh, police at the time, and I believe still do, although it's an unsolved case. It's one of many unsolved crimes and murders in Washington, D.C., uh, believed it was the result of a botched robbery mm-hmm. of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, but ever since it happens, rumors have flied online that, oh, man, he was the, um, uh, the DNC leak to WikiLeaks, and maybe that's why he was killed. And the innuendo being, of course, that the Hillary Clinton machine or the DNC itself or or Democrats or someone, something had him whacked because he was a snitch uh, to WikiLeaks. Um, And so obviously there's zero evidence. uh, Right. There is no actual evidence for this except for like pro-Trump forums and websites online. So this has been there basically since July 2016. It's been in the internet ether. But in uh, the past week or so, this was given new life because uh, a Fox 5 DC local affiliate ran a thinly sourced story that uh, there was proof that he was the WikiLeaks source, not uh, Russian affiliated, Mm -hmm. affiliated or Russian intelligence services linked hackers who multiple investigations yeah. have shown that that was almost definitely um, um, what got the emails to WikiLeaks. Um, this was – sorry, uh, where were we? Well, we were, well the, you were saying that the oh, Fox, oh, right, local right. Fox so 5, the local so Fox they brought it back together. And so then CNN together. refuted it. Almost every other yeah. network refuted it. And but then Fox, Fox continued. FoxNews.com, the national – news right. uh, website, not just the local Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. affiliate, picked it up. Right. And then uh, scores of national viral conservative media outlets like the Drudge Report, the Gateway yeah. Pundit, Breitbart, picked it up and seized upon it. And then, of course, Sean Hannity, who's one of Fox News's marquee stars, um, started going on and on and on about it on air on Fox News, on his radio show, on Twitter. And he was pretty clear about his motive. He tweeted that if this is true and this story that he desperately wanted to be true and was promoting as grounded in fact, which it was not at all, was that if this story is true, there was no Trump-Russia collusion. So he's pretty clear about what Mm -hmm. his motivation here is. And um, as I and Andrew Carell, who's one of my Daily Beast colleagues, he's based in New York City, uh, reported on Monday – uh, we talked to nearly a dozen Fox News reporters, pundits, and hosts who all, um, unfortunately, uh, spoke on the condition of anonymity because of how uh, iron-fisted Fox News is about this. Yeah. So they could speak freely. They were all uniformly furious that Fox News was allowing this to continue uh, because they all saw it for what it was, a needlessly yeah. cruel perpetuation of a conspiracy theory that has no grounding in fact at best makes your news network, what is supposed to be a news network and not a propaganda right-wing mm-hmm. outlet, look ridiculous and at worst causing added pain to a family that is still grieving the fairly recent murder, unsolved murder of their son. And and then – but now, now Fox largely in response to your efforts – FoxNews.com has dropped this story. They say they've no retracted and taken offline, and, and taken they said it, did, it was not subjected to the same scrutiny that but, every other article on Fox News' online presence is subjected to. We're, uh, and let's but, pretend, for the sake of argument, that we believe that for a moment. That you know, right. yeah. Uh, but Sean Hannity but, refuses to comply. Even well, last night, he was talking about this. He was tweeting about it quite a bit yesterday, and then on the air, he said. 
um, on radio. He was talking about it. He was going mm-hmm. all in about it. And then when he got on air onto um, um, his eponymous Fox News show, which starts airing at 10 p.m. Eastern time, uh, he s- mentioned it briefly, saying, I will not talk about it out of respect for Seth Rich's family. Um and saying that he has now been in contact with the family. Having said that, he neither retracted nor did he actually apologize. And he also tweeted that I am not stopping. Yeah, I'm no, he's close, not going to stop. I'm closer to the truth than ever. So uh, in a way, his quote-unquote like respect for this grieving family on Fox News's air was pretty cynical. Yeah. If you also yeah. don't apologize and are also, on the other hand, refusing to shut up about it. No. <laughs> it it's disgusting. And it's like the common pizza thing here in Washington, D.C. I mean, these things, it, this, yes. this, this fake news has real serious right. implications. And for Fox News and their on-air talent that spend all day hollering yeah. about fo- fake news, fake news, for them to let their network get away with this is pretty despicable. I'm Sub saying from the Daily Beast, dailybeast.com. Thanks, Aspen. Thanks for coming in. Thank you so much. Have a great Wednesday, folks. We'll be this looking for you tomorrow. This is the Bill Press Show. The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is the Bill Press Show. Well, while uh, President Trump was heading to Italy yesterday, the White House released the president's budget. But it's a far cry, as President Trump, a far cry from what candidate Donald Trump campaigned on. Remember, candidate Trump promised never to cut Social Security, Medicare, or Medicaid. President Trump, in his budget, cuts Medicaid by $1.5 trillion, a 47% cut. Candidate Trump promised he would help students to make higher education more affordable. Uh-uh, not President Trump. He actually cuts $9.2 billion from education funding, a 13.5% cut. Yes, candidate Donald Trump promised that he was going to lower the price of prescription drugs. In his budget, President Trump doesn't do one thing about the cost of prescription drugs. Doesn't mention it at all. Candidate Trump promised to fight for the middle class for working class Americans, but now they're forgotten by him. President Trump would cut disability payments by $72 billion, cut retirement benefits for federal employees by $63 billion, slice $192 billion from food stamps, and cut all other programs helping the poor by $272 billion. In other words, the people most hurt by Donald Trump Donald Trump's budget are the working class Americans who who voted for him. But now that he's in the White House, he doesn't care about them. He'd rather throw money at the bloated Pentagon and at his wealthy friends on Wall Street. And that's what his budget is all about. Yet everything about Donald Trump's new budget is wrong, starting with the name they give it. Donald Trump calls it, quote, a foundation. No, a new foundation for American greatness. He should have called it the trail of broken campaign promises. This is the Bill Press Show. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.